Welcome back to another episode of the Web3 Show. It's episode 23, and we have got a banging episode for today. We've got a bit of around the block. We've got, uh, well, I want to say I want to say winding down our Elon topic from last week, but this thing might continue into the next uh, month, two months, three months. Who knows at this stage? Uh, the world is a crazy place currently. Um, I hope everyone is doing well. I've got with me, as always, uh, your guy in TradFi, the NFT conspiracy theorist, the ghost of Wall Street, the the, the our professional skier within the within the group, uh, the Norwegian skier. We've also got, as always, Galactic Q, the Baron of Red Pills, the megalomaniac doing squats, superset with uh, what was it, the the leg stepper, crazy person, and of course, I'm Luca, the front man of the show. Um, we had a bit of a, we had a bit of a nice long weekend, boys were away, I'm just fresh off the boat from, from Paris, so I'm feeling very romantic right now, um, got a rude awakening when I saw what was going on with Elon coming back into the real world, um, boys, I, it was quite funny, I just want to point something out from being in France, in Paris, French ads for crypto are hilarious, because, you know, <laughs> French is like one of the most romantic languages. But then you have like le crypto or Bitcoin thrown in the middle. It's like it's a bit it's a bit weird. Um, it's a bit of a bit of a culture shock. Um, but uh, I don't know, have, Luca. How are the Norwegian ads for for crypto? Have you seen any? Yeah, they're more like the classic investment ads. Like you know, put your money in this kind of a page right. in the, a page in the newspaper. People still read newspapers. Yeah. <laughs> Um, can you imagine uh, advertising for crypto in the newspaper yeah that doesn't that's just well boys just, well boys it's it's better than than fucking jake white running on a field throwing a rugby ball trying to advertise ludo so okay I'm, I'm, I, yeah i missed that one i missed that one <laughs> yeah that sounds like a south african special here eh? oh yeah and then the luna ads above the mcdonald's have to do it there. Oh, <laughs> well, Luca, uh, just circling back, I called you an NFT conspiracy theorist because um, I know you've got something you wanted to talk about on Moonbirds. We'll probably circle back to you. Quickly, uh, let's get an update from our charts expert, uh, Q. Give us a, a breakdown of the markets from the last week. Um, you you just said to us off the offline that we we live to see another day so uh, explain what that means yeah well basically you know as we discussed last week we got this pullback and basically we've seen absolutely nothing exciting happen in the market for the last seven days um what we did see was a small push down to i think we whipped to about 38.5 um before having quite a nice volume back push uh to end off the daily candle yesterday um closing back above um, I'll tell you exactly 41,000, which, which is pretty bullish in essence. Uh, what we did see was a, was a liquidation wick to the bottom to, to liquidate a bunch of shorts. Um, and ultimately, we've retained this interim support trend. Um, so basically, in the short term, I'm remaining bullish. We, we, as Lucas said, we live to see another day. Um, if we lost trend last night, we could expect a very fast move down to the low 36K possibly even 35k for a week back up before we move to the upside again. But basically, you know, short term, 
things are looking bullish for a push to the mid-40s here. Um, but ultimately, medium term, just considering the Fed talk coming mid-May uh, with the basis point rise to 50 basis points, you know, it, I'm expecting a slow market until that point. I think we're largely pricing in that announcement um, and those rate hikes with the current market conditions. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see any explosive excitement. I see Bitcoin continue its range between, I would say, 36 or 38 to 48 would be the range that we kind of continue in. On a macro level, Bitcoin is kind of forming now what is more confirming a range-bound bullish pennant, which, you know, a lot of, a lot of big um, Twitter accounts and YouTube accounts haven't really picked up on this yet, but one guy who has been talking about it for a couple of weeks now is Crypto Zombie, who, you know, is someone that I've, I've viewed for a long time, and he basically has been pointing out this massive pennant uh, ascending triangle formation that we're in in the market. And this kind of begins from late 2020 all the way with the first push up to 64 and then the second push up to 69. And right now we're sitting on trend support, actual trend support being at 36.7. So if we look at the bigger picture, I think the six month to 12 month view on Bitcoin and the overall market is actually starting to look very bullish considering we're getting a lot of macro monthly indicators flip bullish as well. But short term, medium term, we are looking very rocky. We might get these short-term bursts of excitement in the market, but I do see more slow movement, slow grind, strong moves down, slow moves up, you know, for the next couple of months while we go through the 250 basis point hikes in May and June. Um, and ultimately more data on the macroeconomic situation gets released. Um, there's a lot of, you know, discerning factors going on around in the market at the moment um, in the geopolitical sense. And, you know, a lot of people are unsure as to the inflation data, how much worth that's going to get. So it's going to be an interesting time to navigate. Um, so I'm remaining pretty heavy cash positions at the moment to take advantage of any strong dips. We did see Luna retest that $75 zone, which was a significant support. And since then, we saw it push back up to $90 from there. So there are some strong reactions happening in altcoins, especially Solana as well, dipping to 94, pushing back to 103. Um, so we know that the market is still favoring alts, especially if we consider dominance levels too, which is quite interesting to note. We also, what we also seen is the USDT dominance, which is how much people favor stable coins in the market over being in risky assets. So it can basically be used as a risk, uh, like a, a risk analysis method. What we're seeing is USDT dominance is flipping its previous support to resistance. And a rejection here will confirm that we go back on back into a risk on sentiment in the crypto market. And as we know, crypto is largely speculatively driven. So I can see strong movements leading up to the Fed talk in May, especially considering we're going through this pricing in period um, for the next couple of weeks. So it could get exciting, um, but in my mind, we're kind of in limbo. Um, you know, I do see a push maybe to the mid 40s here before we get a stronger pull down to test those 36K levels, which I do think we need to come and test. Um, but it's all well and good taking advantage of these short term moves if you're looking to do that. Otherwise, guys, macro picture, we are looking bullish for the 6, 12, 2 year, 5 year outlook of Bitcoin, Ethereum and the crypto market as a whole. But that being said, take note of our previous episodes where we've spoken about the shift to quality. 
and focus on accumulated that quality. Right now, this is not a trader's market. It's an investor's market. And investing with conviction into the various projects that are showing really strong macro potential is where you should be hedging your bets right now. And it's going to be interesting, uh, I guess, from my from my perspective, you know, listening to All In this weekend um, with some market analysis coming from Chamath particularly, it's going to be interesting seeing how the crypto market fares in a potential recession, you know, between Europe getting hit hard, um, America maybe less so, and just with the global uncertainty with everything happening in, in Ukraine and, you know, just, just the general, general uncertainty, I guess, um, whether crypto will get battered or whether it'll sort of grind through it. Um, well, we all, well, listen, but just before we move on, just, just two things on that front. Firstly, you know, I've been doing a lot of, I spoke to, spoke to Luca um, last night about this. We had a long conversation. And over the past like, couple of days, I've been going through a bit of a, a, call it an identity crisis in crypto. <laughs> and firstly, I binged about 12 episodes of All In, which I had missed. So I caught up on a lot of the podcasts. And all I can say is those guys are fucking legends. Um, I especially love J.Cole's skincare routine on, on the podcast. Um, but the one thing I wanted to say was when it comes to investing, it's about having that macro conviction, you know, and hedging your bets, obviously. And I'm really looking forward to what Chamath has to say in the next part episode because he's always got really important macro insight to a lot of factors going on in the world. You know, I'm also looking forward to hearing more about the food shortage crisis and things like that because these are all factors that are going to affect the global economy. So it's going to be interesting to hear what these guys say, but the one thing to base it is, you know, there has to be conviction in what you buy and obviously hedge your risk. Um, so it's going to be interesting, but yeah, these guys, <laughs> if you haven't tuned into all in, do, do so. <laughs> Q, uh, probably another conversa- conversation for another time with you having a crypto identity crisis. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, it's always, always good to hear you and Luca having long conversations because I know... Uh, Snowy Peak must be moving moving forward at at a bit of a rate. Um, one thing you forgot to mention, which we we will touch on, I don't want to dive into it right now before we cover the the main topic. Uh, we still have NFTs in a sense mooning. The, I, I saw a stat yesterday that uh, OpenSea had its best two months of trading ever, basically in the past two months, which is like ridiculous when you think about the the sort of macro picture of everything. And then over the past weekends, you had weekend you had moonbirds uh, minting at 2.5 ETH and people selling them on uh, secondary sales for 18, 19, 20 ETH, which is like bonkers as well. How, like, how is this happening right now? Um, we'll get to our NFT conspiracy theorist, Luca, in a bit. Um, but right, let's, let's talk about Elon. Um, if you missed it, which I doubt you did, uh, he put in an offer to take Twitter private at $54.20, something like a 40% premium on the current share price. Um, and look, I think it's a, it's a typical Elon move. Like I was surprised, but not really surprised when you think about how he operates his companies. Um, he's always been a skeptic of the, the, the public markets or not a skeptic, but just, just um, awake to its disadvantages with, you know, all of the scrutiny that happens with quarterly quarterly updates and, uh, you know, quarterly going to market, um, you know, and he believes that Twitter could be better improved in a private sense where there's no scrutiny from the outside world and they can just build in public, uh, in private. Um, so 
basically there was a retaliation from the board. They uh, are the, the Twitter board are wanting to take actions through a potential poison pill. Something that if you don't know about it, and we're not going to dive into it because the All In guys can explain that much better. They did a great episode this past weekend, Elon versus Twitter, episode seventy six. I highly recommend going to watch. It's about 50, 57 minutes. Um, that'll catch you up on everything re regarding the stock and governance and how that works. So I highly recommend that. We're going to be focusing on our areas of expertise, which is Twitter culture, um, particularly crypto, Twitter memes, and crypto in general. So my first uh, question to you, uh, to you wizards, uh, Luca, let's start with you maybe. Um, what were your favorite takes about what happened this this weekend uh, with Elon's offer to take Twitter private. Um, any tweets you saw? Any just general general takes you have? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's generally generally a little bit of a um, kind of uh, there's this idea that you know some of these companies are a bit bloated, um, that oversight uh, isn't uh, as uh, what kind of what it should be, um, and and I heard that basically employees got a day of rest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so it's so stressful to uh, you know yeah. with with all the and, stress down under. And I wasn't sure if it was a joke um, or if, or if it was serious, but it, but it turns out um, that that this might be a monthly recurring thing. Um, and you know, I, I've heard a couple of anecdotes um, about working with Elon, and it, I, I think <laughs> I think uh, you you're in for a rude awakening uh, if you're used to a monthly. Uh, day of rest basically so i thought i thought i mean one of the, the the interesting things was this kind of this like whiplash reaction to this highly successful uh, entrepreneur looking to clean up what is essentially a broken platform um so that for me was was kind of pretty eye-opening right i mean if you're an employee at twitter um and you, you've kind of immediately closed your eyes to the closed your ears to the opportunity of kind of being led by someone like elon musk at least uh spiritually maybe then you know what does that say about the company and the culture i think we we touched on in a previous episode you know this spam problem has only gotten worse there's this new thing when oh, these twitter bots are basically tagging i don't know if you guys have experienced this but i've been t tagged in a bunch of tweets now with like a hundred other people basically can, can, oh yeah I've, I, 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 I got about six i got about six this weekend can, can, can i just yeah it's like can I just plug in? Coincidence that that spam started a week before Musk put in a bid. <laughs> and guys, just just to play devil. Have you noticed? I got about 11, 11 tags a day, and that started exactly a week before Musk put in his offer. But literally the same. Have you have you noticed? Okay, okay, that's a that's a hot tech. But have you have you noticed that now <laughs> these bots are are actually like verified? Like they have a, the verified tag. Like, how is this happening? It's getting worse. It's like it's getting so much worse. So, Q, you reckon it's a setup? I mean, I'm not going to call it a setup <laughs> because I'm bullish on Musk. I'm bullish as hell, you know. But someone is playing something here. There's some game that we don't know about, you know. And I mean, we all knew that Musk's joining and then rejecting the Twitter board was, you know, a power play. So I don't know. I think there's something happening here that you know the public hasn't been told about just yet. So I mean, look, you know, it, it doesn't even Musk. need to be Musk, right? It could just be someone. 
it could just be like a, a think tank that is super bullish on free speech that is just flooding Twitter. I mean, it's an open platform, so maybe they're flooding Twitter with bots to try and kind of just highlight uh, how broken the platform is. Uh, I mean, even if it's not Musk, it is a funny point that like it did, it did definitely ramp up recently. So yeah, there's a connection. No, it's it's getting I mean, hectic. I mean, I haven't, I haven't only seen like controversial and supportive tweets about Musk and Twitter and stuff like that, but I'm starting to see more and more of is people screenshotting these bot tags and being like, Musk, please take over and remove bots. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's definitely becoming a supportive argument in favor of Elon. <laughs> the, the, the best was, that I think, Luke, you mentioned it this, I think you mentioned it this morning, what Elon wanting to basically get rid of the board or at least uh, the $3 million dollars uh, in annual salaries paid out, basically, uh, just to clean them out. Yeah, and then also uh, uh, Elon posted on April the 16th, uh, Love Me Tender, and people, John, so you, you said people were speculating that potentially he wants to put in a share tender offer, which is basically a public solicitation to all shareholders requesting that they tender their stock for sale at a specific price during a certain time, essentially going over the top of the board, which like... I don't know. This thing's going to get crazy. And look, I think maybe it's it's a it's it's the it's a good fight to have. You know, if you're fighting for free speech, it seems like the right fight to have. Cute. But you know what? Why why not do that when the current board owns less than what is it like one point five or two percent of the entire stock? even less like even, after, even less like Jack. after Dorsey left exactly. And Shamat had a really important thing to say about it in the previous episode that you know the seller you you linked. If you join the board of a company, you should have massive skin in the game. So it's not only in the best interest of the shareholders that your fiduciary obligation applies to, but you have vested interests for yourself as well. This board has basically no skin in the game. So I, I think I think there's there's more to this. And I mean, I don't blame Musk for for doing the you know putting a speculative tender offer in like this. I mean, if he goes directly to the shareholders, why not? The board is no say. Yeah, and I mean we're you know in crypto we're used to having skin in the game like that is that's part of our DNA that's part of the the culture of crypto if you will like you you can't you don't get involved in things you don't know how things work really if you don't have skin in the game and that's how that's how people have won look at look at NFTs like that is you know that is the case in point um, but yeah I mean I mean rounding rounding out a bit uh, you know David Sachs had a great. Great tweet, um, another all-in bestie. If the game is fair, Elon will buy Twitter. If the game is rigged, there will be some reason why he won't be able to. We're about to find out how deep the corruption goes. So look, listen, we're going to find out what's going to happen. I think it, it may be more drawn out, as, as the all-in guy said. Um, but I think we're going to find out how, how this all ends relatively soon. Um, and I mean, my, my question to you guys, do you think Elon, is there a possibility something else gets built? Um, you know, a decentralized Twitter. There's also been, you know, Sam Bankman, Bankman Freed, uh, founder of FTX. Also, you know, he said some thoughts on what a decentralized Twitter might look like uh, was a good thread on, on what it would actually look like going on chain, essentially. For you, from your guys' perspective, is that a possibility? Does something get built in parallel to, to Twitter? Maybe it's Elon. Um, some people have speculated that he might, you know, get a get a dream team together. I mean, 
an outrageous tweet from Pomp was potential Twitter executive team or a, a dream team. You have Chairman Elon, CEO Peter Thiel, President Jordan Peterson, COO Keith Raboy, CFO Donald Trump. It's a bit, bit over the top, but you know what I, you know what I mean. Elon can basically put pull, pull a team, a dream team together pretty quickly. We can all imagine. Um, does something get built in your guys' eyes, or does Elon get Twitter in the end? I mean, I I think it's going to be a drawn out process, but I think Musk will win in the end. Um, you know, the this, in my opinion, the sales in the best interest of shareholders. So unless they accept the offer, um, I think there's going to be major lawsuits, and I don't think it's going to go that far. But if it does, you know, Musk has hinted at a plan B, which he hasn't disclosed to anyone, and I think that is building a competitor platform. And you know, the saying goes, "Don't bet against Musk." I think I think it's going to be hard to create a product as good as Twitter. I mean, there's a reason we're still on the platform. Um, I think I, I think the odds are towards Elon taking this platform, uh, or if not Elon, basically, you know, the, there's there's a shift in management um, if this falls through and kind of the structural issues are fixed. I think it's going to be really hard to create something as iconic. I mean, this, this platform really was birthed in Silicon Valley. Um, it, it kind of came in with all these other internet companies. And I just, like, I, I just find it very hard to see a new company upending that legacy. But I guess that's always the thing. Uh, you always kind of, when, when the paradigm shift happens, you look back and you're like, Oh, uh, how do people not see that? Well, I guess <laughs> here I am saying that uh, you know I don't see Twitter's legacy being upended, uh, and and uh, my my bias is towards kind of someone coming in and fixing the situation. I mean, but look, it is a huge vote of confidence that Elon wants to take it private. Yes. For me, I mean, you know, if I was a shareholder, if I was an employee, I would be like, well, this is a huge vote of confidence for the potential of of my company or my you know the company that I own. Oh. And you know why would you not? Why would you not want to give that give that opportunity to him and and to actually see see what he can create? You know, and and this is the this is the whole thing. And and I've seen some comments as well, especially from crypto Twitter, saying that Twitter is a great place for crypto Twitter. Like, why why would we want anywhere anywhere else for crypto Twitter? Um, you know, if you draw parallels to Discord, there's there's been a huge uproar about Discord over the past year, especially with the emergence of NFTs and Web3, where people just say Discord is the most chaotic, clunky, terrible platform if we want to do Web3 yeah. activities on it, versus you don't get the same complaints about Twitter. People love it. Um, so, I mean, another another comment, if you guys saw any anything, you know, maybe comments, takeaways, thoughts on what happens to crypto Twitter next. Um, does crypto Twitter have a say in this? Um, does crypto Twitter come, you know, will they be at the forefront in the new Twitter if Elon takes over and rebuilds it? I think there will be a paradigm shift if the bot issue is solved. Um, I think that is really one of the biggest things standing in the way, right? And then, you know, hopefully we've, I mean, we've had the first couple of lawsuits come in against, you know, these kind of shill influencers. If that problem is resolved and the bots problem is resolved i mean crypto twitter could could really actually be a, a place that isn't a net negative for your mental health that's so true so true so true with the bots and stuff i mean luca literally this weekend you know with everything happening with moonbirds um you know i got tagged in one of these these uh these bot things 
you go onto it and it's a moonbirds.xyz, exactly the same as the legitimate Twitter, Twitter account uh, of, the, of the NFT project. It has a verified tick. I mean, you, only, you literally, I, I swear in my life, literally, you have, you, I'm not even joking. Look, th- look these things up. If you click into, the, into those things you're getting tagged in, some of them literally have verified tags. So I'm like, okay, if I was, you know, two, three years prior, like rewind, you know, two, three years worth of experience, especially in crypto and seeing, you know, crypto NFT influencers um, posting about how they've just 10, 20 X on Moonbirds. I mean, you're going to click a link there and you're going to lose money from your, from your yeah. MetaMask or when you, when you, you know, when you uh, sign something, you don't really know what you're signing and then poof, there all your funds go and you've just been scammed. So it's, it's so easy. And I think it's such a big problem, especially when you're looking at financial loss. And that, that's something that makes me really angry. Like, that unassuming people are potentially losing a lot of their money and just being drained of their funds, especially, you know, the people, because the, the established people, the, the NFT influencers, the, you know, the whales, they're fine. Like they're post-economic now. They, they have the security measures because they're educated in the space. The people coming into crypto who are getting burned is not good for crypto if we want crypto to succeed no. in, yeah. in the long run. Q, I don't know if you have thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm very skeptical about the NFT place. You know, it's it's a difficult market. And it's, it's you know, the, I saw a tweet the other day, you know, talking about uh, a guy who's, who's fairly reputable. I can't remember his name, but he's been in crypto for a while. Um, he's, a, he's a trader. And basically posts, posts amazing crypto TA um, for short-term trading and things like that. And he made a tweet about how his entire friend group are NFT experts, but know absolutely nothing about crypto. So I just think that there's this, there's this imbalance in the space where you've got a flux of users focused on the NFT space, majority getting wrecked, but ultimately knowing nothing about crypto as a whole, which is a scary thought because, you know, the convictions in the technology, not in the, in the actual assets. You know, it's it's you betting on a tech, not necessarily a JPEG. And unfortunately, a lot of people miss that because they get warped in this noise of all these influencers sharing their gains on, you know, these random projects. I mean, like Pixelmons, for example, you know, it's just it's it's crazy how many people get wrecked and leave the space with a negative light because they're uneducated. And it's crazy how there's so few people, but the people that do win actually know nothing about the space still. So I, th- I think largely NFTs as a whole is, is, is you know, while it's great for adoption, um, the current sort of profile picture narrative is bringing a lot of negative light towards the crypto space. And I do think there needs to be a bigger flush out of the entire ecosystem. You know, at, at the moment, the fact that a mint can sell out at 2.5 ETH per NFT is ridiculous. Like in what world? You know, it's it's firstly when NFT drops began, mints averaged between 0.07 to 0.09. Some mints even 0.02. Nowadays, the average mint for a project are these smaller drops of like 2,000 or 4,000 supply instead of 10,000. But mint price is one, two, sometimes even three ETH. And it's it's kind of taking the limited amount of users in the crypto space because the fact of the matter is. 
there are not a lot of new wallets coming into the space. It's recycled wallets from previous projects. And the scary thing is that, you know, just reducing the supply, putting a higher mint price on it and promising, you know, like I haven't looked into Moonbird, so I'm not specifically talking about that project. I'm just talking in general. You know, it's, it's kind of like they've tried to rebrand the profile picture narrative to be something that it isn't. And I, I do think that the NFT space needs to get a knock. And I think projects that are doing, for example, what Board Apes are doing, where they've brought in an ecosystem coin, they've given the IP rights, there's IRL businesses being built around these Board Apes as their marketing material. Like that is becoming a thriving ecosystem, you know, where they're branching into multiple revenue streams. That for me is a successful project. But all these other projects that do these ridiculous high mints, for me, it just seems like a cash grab. Why does a project need a mint to JPEG for 2.5 years? Why? What is the reason for that? You know. And, and, and look, as we as we sort of close out our Elon segment, because as we said, we're underqualified to talk a lot about the government governance and stock issues. I think we've touched a, a good amount on the crypto crypto elements. Um, you know, I think drawing the line between Twitter becoming a better product better for free speech, better for the world in general with so much, you know, politics and business and everything being done on Twitter. The same manner goes for, you know, increasing the usability of these NFTs and the interface which with, with which we interact with them, which a lot of the time is Twitter. I think that'll benefit society in a in a massive way, especially the, you know, the society of, of crypto, crypto Twitter. Um, you know, people have a lot more uh, better experiences and just getting burned less, I think, which is like a, a massive thing. We we want we want to onboard a billion people into crypto and having, you know, a sort of safe consumer centric on ramps, which is mo most of the time Twitter, um, you know, is, is of key importance. And so so maybe let's let's talk about Moonbirds for a second, um, which you know, obviously, John, you mentioned um, the the high mint price, and it's actually interesting comparing to Bored Apes, which I'm completely on the same wavelength as you with uh, with the high mint price. Like, where, how on earth do you come out with 2.5 ETH, which is currently seven and a half thousand dollars, you know, just to mint the NFT, and and you know, ten, twenty xing that in a weekend is besides the point. I think just to what? To, to what was get... the supply of, of Moonbirds? What, do, you, do you know what the supply was? I don't actually know. I'll quickly look it up. But basically, you know, do you know um, Kevin Rose? He's quite a big time uh, sort of uh, old um, Silicon Valley uh, entrepreneur. He's, he's close with Tim Ferriss. Um, and he's, a, he's a good guy. Like I think the, the, the parent project is Proof.xyz who are, I think they created Moonbirds, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so look, for, for that, that sort of like gives me more faith in the project, but I just think 2.5 ETH minting is, is obscene. It's 10,000 supply. So, so, so what, in what world does a project have to net 25,000 ETH off a mint to achieve their roadmap? I mean, there are, that's, that's obscene. You know, ETH is, ETH, Let's just take a $3,000 ETH. That's a $75 million ROI on the day of mint for a project. In what world does a, does a company have to do an initial raise of $75 million 
to achieve product development. Seen. It's obscene, exactly. Like, so, so this highlights this cash grab narrative. It's like Pixel Months doing a three ETH mint or, or what, whatever it was. It, it was also like, yeah, it was a three ETH mint netting $70 million on day of, day of mint. Like, you know, the, the backing behind the project can be amazing. You know, there could be a fundamental team, but in no world does a team need $75 million to build an initial product, especially in crypto. We know Board Apes built something incredible just off secondary market sales. And, and they minted for 0.03 ETH. Exactly. So it's, but John, it's, and John, you know, it's funny. It's funny to the audience. This is worth noting. You're mentioning the $75 million, million right? It's, it's also besides the point that, yes, Kevin Rose is a very thoughtful entrepreneur. He's building Proof, which is a great podcast, great media, sort of a Web3 media company. I've listened to a, lot of, uh, a bit of their content. It, it's, it looks like a very thoughtful project, and especially how they've done Moonbirds, where you contrast it to Pixelmons, which is just shit. Like it was just terrible NFTs, terrible backbone to the project. Moonbirds looks a lot more thoughtful, I will say. I haven't dug into it enough. But Web2 companies are raising like, like basically a seed round north of $1 million is like a lot of money, I think, for seed round, at least from my perspective, the way I've seen it. People can challenge me on that. But the way I've seen it, if you're raising a seed round, you know, a million to $10 million is like probably your range, right? And that's, yeah. this is 7x that. But, so, but it's not like, even it's crazy. there. This project launched a week ago. They've already done 73,000 ETH in traded volume. I don't know exactly what royalty payout they're getting, but on average, NFT projects take a 5% royalty for secondary market sales. That means in the last couple of days, they've netted an additional 3,650 ETH, which is an additional 3,650 times 3,000, an additional $11 million approximately. So over the past week, they've netted $86 million as a raise. For me, that is a lot of alarm bells. Why does the mint have to be so high? In what world does a product need $86 million for development? And thirdly, this is literally a cash grab. Like, I don't care how good the team is. I don't care how good the project development is going to be. In what world do you need $86 million for development? It doesn't exist. Like you said, you know, in traditional finance and traditional development, $1 million is a massive raise. Most amazing products have been built of two, 300,000 raises, $300,000 raises. This is a huge, huge, huge thing for the team Look. to walk away with a lot of money. And, you know, maybe there's a split for the community DAO and all that shit, but we know what DAOs really are. Like, at the end of the day, they're just more, you know, funding for teams. Like, it's all bullshit. So, I mean, I don't care how good a team is. I don't care how good a project is. A 2.5 ETH mint for 10,000 NFTs is a cash grab, bottom line. Luca, let's get your conspiracy theory. Look, I mean, b b before you said it explicitly, I think, you know, the question was rhetorical. You don't, basically, <laughs> need $75 million. But uh, why not get the $75 million if you can use your cloud, um, your track record um, to, to net it, right? Like, I guess you also can't blame the guy. Uh, he had a clear shot. Uh, this was probably the time to take it. Um, so we'll see, I guess we'll see what happens there. Um, I, my, my, <laughs> I had this sort of moment where I was thinking about NFT volumes. You know, we had that uh, flash loan exploit uh, on Bean um, 
it was like another stablecoin protocol basically was exploited for 80 million dollars um, wasn't it 180 all, that happened this weekend wasn't it um I, my the numbers i've seen was have been around 70 80 million um yeah reg- regardless still a lot of money afterwards but but what was interesting was just there, there was basically a flash loan um which allowed the um malicious um users basically to obtain full governance uh, of the protocol and basically the way they set it up was that with full governance you could actually edit the code <laughs> so they, they they had a flash loan they edited the code and they drained the protocol um, roughly is, is is what happened and, and i just had this thought like you know nft volumes is very opaque right like you know we've talked about wanting to rebrand to DeFi pirates um from uh, from web3 wizards and uh, maybe just a bit of a background to, to that there there's a project on solana DeFi pirates quite cool they have like options vaults uh, and the nft we, we like the nfts um and and basically i've seen quite a few users posting you know galleries of their of their uh, DeFi pirate nfts and they own like 50 of them so so there's a lot of concentration in nft ownership um, and, and the actual volumes are opaque in the sense that you don't actually know how much of this volume is genuine money coming into uh, into a project versus money that's already there. Effectively, you could think of it like this. Um, say, you know, in, in, of course, day one volume is a critical indicator of success for a project. Like we can just say that crypto is hype driven. Hype comes when money comes. So if you've got strong day one volumes, um, chances are your, your your project kind of on the odds uh, uh, will have a better chance of succeeding than something which which fails to sell out. I mean that's yeah, I, I think no one will will disagree with me on that. Um, so so if if you're starting an NFT project, what's your what's your basically your priority, right? It's it's basically to have to have strong day one volumes. So I, I was just kind of thinking, you know, how can you raise those artificially? Well, of course, if you've got, if you've got a, a if you've been pre-funded, right, um, you can just set up a bunch of wallets and NFTs which trade on the open market, basically buy them and just trade them between your wallets. Conversely, you could mint, you know, th- thousands of your own NFTs basically through different wallets. Um, and then the, the the ETH basically ends up in the team contract, and then these things are traded on the secondary market, basically. Um, but you know, net net, you're not like losing ETH basically because the ETH ends up you know in the team wallet, for example. And I just and I just thought, you know, the, looking at these Moonbird PFPs, I really had this moment of. Uh, <laughs> You know, almost, I, I would almost say like uh, kind of kind of like a, a, a spiritual awakening where I just kind of thought like, you know, my God, like this cannot be real, basically. You know, like <laughs> we, we've kind of come so far through this whole NFT kind of cycle and now we've ended up at bird PFPs trading at, in minting at 2.5 ETH and there's a recession looming. And reselling for 20 ETH and a few days later. For 20 ETH. Who is buying these things for 20 ETH? And I just thought this cannot be real. Right. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I imagine there are ways of seeing a team wallet. Is, I mean, it, 
you can definitely and you is not uh, Luca, I'm losing you a bit. I, I can't hear anything you're saying. Can you hear me now? Yeah, much better. Yeah, I, I guess my only bit. point was: can you can you say can you tell me conclusively that a portion of NFT volumes are not manufactured, right, to obtain high day one volumes? That's it's like that's, the looks rare thing, right? Luca, with the, the washing, the trade washing, or yeah, whatever the wash, it's called. wash trading, exactly. Wash trading, yeah. Just, yeah, but but I think you know that that was kind of also an artificial way of increasing platform volume by basically encouraging people to literally just sell NFTs to themselves, basically. Um, and you know we've we've got that whole thing also on on you know tax loss harvesting basically when you sell NFTs for cheap to yourself, right, and then you basically book a loss. Um, although, although you still have the NFT just in a different wallet. Um, so I think, you know, I, I just, I looked at this Moonbirds raise and I, and I just, I, I kind of really lost confidence in the volume metric, basically, was my spiritual awakening. I kind of like, I looked at it and I was like, you know, any sensible entrepreneur will pump the hell out of this metric by whatever means necessary because it basically will dictate the kind of, evolution of floor price on this project and you know not we, we're all here for money basically you know like primarily no, no matter no matter how much no, no matter how much we we say you know it is the long-term outlook there is an element of you know everyone want, does want a financial gain does want the financial gain of course you, you don't risk a loss if there's no upside like we 100%. are all if you're using d5 platforms you're risking a loss of funds through hacks. You know, if you're using exchanges, you've got a tax burden. There, you are just putting there. Are, there are a lot of risks. It's it's burdensome. You're here for the upside, basically. Like you can enjoy the technology, and if you're working in this space, obviously it's different. My my point is, I'm not working in the space. Um, I'm speculating effectively, and you know, if 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 I started at an NFT project, I would I would pump the hell out of that day one volume. Yeah. But but Luca, just to comment on that, I mean that is your gold standard metric, and and why? Of course, I I hundred percent agree with you. Uh, why would you not pump the hell out of it? And of course, we're not sitting here saying you know this is this is definitively happened with Moonbirds. This is just speculation. Obviously, uh, we 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 don't know the inside uh, workings of everything that's happening. But it it's not too far out of the imagination. Just to comment, also before Q jumps in. You also have had over the past week, especially focused on Moonbirds with everything else happening, you know, alongside the Elon, the other news that's broken, like noteworthy stuff. You've had this narrative of crypto influencers shilling the narrative of financial freedom and becoming post-economic and freeing yourself of the nine to five, essentially, you know, if you had gotten in Moonbirds. So it's essential, you know, clear as day FOMO. And I mean, just, just sort of talking about psychology and being self-aware for a bit, I was sitting on Twitter last night, found myself in a bit of a rabbit hole, and I'm going past all these moonbirds, you know, minted for 2.5 ETH, yes, it's expensive, but I just exited for 20, 20 ETH, you know, another one, 14 ETH, 16 ETH. Working on human psychology, I was sitting there and I actually had like palpable anxiety, because I think I've gotten quite good at like you know, becoming aware of my emotions now. And I was like, this is full on FOMO. So 
what do you expect people to do after that? You know, they didn't get into Moonbirds, so they're going to get in on Will Smith Inu and lose and get rugged. You know, a meme co- an actual meme coin that came out after Will Smith cra- slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars a few weeks ago. Um, you know, so that sort of, I, I just don't like it. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth with all of the shilling going on, eliciting FOMO. And then again, you have entrance into crypto coming and losing money and taking on too much risk and losing everything and then having, you know, being turned off to crypto because they lost everything, but not staying in the space because it's actually a great space to be in. And it is, it, it may well be the future of, of everything. Um, to round that out, Q, I don't know if you have any, any comments on that to close it out, but I think uh, it's not too far-fetched. Luca. I mean, just just having a quick look at the um, <laughs> the website of Moonbirds. <laughs> Each Moonbird unlocks a private club membership and additional benefits the longer you hold them. Like, is that a value proposition to spend 2.5 ETH on a fucking NFT? <laughs> Guys, this market needs one hell of a shakeout. That's all I can say. I mean, I think people are going to get like an awakening like there's no tomorrow when this market dumps you know i'm talking about the nft metaverse market when it dumps another 90 percent from here and people are going to be left holding bags of nfts that have gone to zero you know there was a there was an interesting report that came out where a person analyzed a couple thousand nft projects and it was pretty much stated that a third of them were rug pulls and a third of them have been have become dormant with zero trading volume activity um, over the past two months. That's, you know, 66% of NFT projects are either dormant or were rugged. You know, wow. leaving only only a third that have actually had some... That's, that's not to say that that other third are highly successful projects. That's just to say, listen how low this benchmark is. That's just to say that that third of them have had some form of trading volume over the past two months. Whether that's one ETH or 10 ETH, it doesn't matter. They've just had some form of trading volume. That is how low the bar is in the NFT space right now. So this is essentially the the aftermath of the the NFT mania we saw towards the back end of last year. Um, Exactly. I think think this resurged with the launch of ApeCoin and everyone saw how well Bored Apes is doing again when their floor dipped to 70 and now they're back at, I think it's 120 or 110 or whatever it is. Wild. You know, and, and I think I think people have seen that and everyone wants to catch the board ape narrative. And funny enough, with Solana integrating their NFTs into OpenSea, I've already started to see recurring tweets about Solana NFTs titled, What is the next board ape yacht club? Solana NFTs to flip ETH NFTs. And then people comparing the project saying DGen Ape Academy is the next board ape yacht club, you know, XYZ. And it's all these projects that, you know, ultimately they're just profile picture projects and people are already starting to hype them up as the next, you know, board at Yacht Club. And it's, it's quite obvious to know that it's not likely something's ever going to eclipse board at Yacht Club within the next year. It's got first mover, it's got the most innovation, and they've got the capital to back the, the, what they do. Just one, so, one so note. They, yeah, Jones. Yeah. No, no. So basically, there's just this ongoing narrative of people trying to bring 
you know, a new hype level back into NFTs off the back foot of Board Ape, you know, with the Solana NFT integration, with Moonbirds, with this, with that, you know, and it's it's almost like these influencers are creating a norm that it is okay to spend ten thousand dollars on an NFT, that it's okay to spend you know, X amounts on an NFT, which is just in what world is that fair? Yeah, you know? that, that is going <laughs> to end scary. so badly. That is going to end like so just terribly badly that it sets like a precedent basically for other projects. And here you've got Kevin Rose, maybe, you know, he delivers. He's clearly got a team. They've doxed themselves. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be different with other projects. And I mean, like you said, you know, two thirds um, dormant or rugs. Uh, I just wanted to make one more point. You know, there's there's this project on Luna Galactic Punks. You know, sure, you know, day one volumes are opaque. Um, you know, I, I have serious doubts. Um, I, I think to a large extent these 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 can be manufactured um, and therefore would be manufactured by rational uh, actors. Um, you know, the, the different things, though, I mean, obviously the floor price as well. I mean, look, like high day one volumes basically means the decay in your floor price is likely going to be extended. I mean, I, I've got a theory that basically floor prices, broadly speaking, just tend to zero with time, with a few exceptions. And basically, high day one volumes mean that 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 trend is basically extended, or the or the dec- decay is is, is slower. Um, you know, what can you do to uh, what can you do against that? You know, I mean, projects are actively working on their floor prices. Like Galactic Punks basically have a validator that you can stake your Luna to, and they use the profits from that validator to buy floor NFTs. So they're slowly scooping up these floor uh, NFTs, which raises the floor, right? But it's kind of artificial in the sense that this demand is basically uh, internal, effectively. It's not new people coming into the ecosystem, but uh, rather rather these things are being dropped. And it's not to say that Galactic Punks is a a bad project. It's it's smart. It's, It's like, it's, it's the right thing to do if you're an NFT project with a val- with a with a validator. All I'm saying is that these metrics that you look at, it is almost impossible to basically separate what is uh, what is real market demand and what is basically manipulation uh, from the part of the from the part of the project, and 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 that's just rational, right? That you know, one shouldn't be looking at floor price growth. I mean, if you look at GPs, their floor at one point was 150 lunar. It dumped to 27 lunar, and now it's at around 50 or 60 lunar. And you know, I own a Galactic Punk, and the only reason why I own it is because I can stake it into the Galactic DAO and earn airdrops for new ecosystem projects that come to the lunar network, which I think is a pretty good use case. You know, you're holding a JPEG, you stake it, you're getting airdrops of all new ecosystem tokens. Which, you know, that's kind of carrying over staking your Luna and you receive airdrops for staking your Luna. It's that same narrative, except because there are fewer Galactic Punk holders, your airdrops are actually bigger than just staking the Luna. So I think that is a good value proposition for holding one of these. But, you know, at the same token, I wouldn't spend what people are spending today on that. And that's, you know, people are seeing these sales on Twitter saying this one just bought for 60 Luna. And this was when Luna was trading at $120. You know, it's around $7,000 for a JPEG, you know, to receive a couple hundred dollar airdrops. To me, that's not, doesn't make sense. And that echoes this artificial floor sweeping that a lot of teams do. And I mean, it's, it's smart from the teams, but basically, you know, what, what I can stress here 
if you're looking to get into NFTs, buy it for the tech and what the project's doing. Don't buy it for what the influencers are saying. To me, this sounds just like a shaky house of cards with artificial metrics that still needs a further clean out. We, what's interesting to me also is we had the shakeout, you know, as the market was coming down over the year end into Feb, into March, and we thought that was it. But it seems that with all of these, you know, moonbirds and board apes pumping up and Solana NFTs, there just needs to be a broader hit. And uh, maybe we can cover them cover that more in detail in a later episode because we are running short on time but i think we we've hit the nail on the head here just with you know exposing certain flaws um in the whole system and in the house of cards so uh, which which i have pretty conf i have i have a fair amount of confidence will will topple over at uh, some point um boys the the plan was to do an around the block um, but we we definitely don't have time to go through a bunch of other news topics. We may have to pick up some others in an episode next week. But what I wanted to to note, if for people who didn't listen to episode twenty two, we had a great segment on uh, Jack Maller's presentation at the Bitcoin twenty two twenty twenty two conference, introducing essentially a new payment standard using Bitcoin Lightning. Um, if you missed that, I, I would highly recommend going to catch up on, on that. It was a, a really great episode covering that. But I don't know if you guys picked up at the end of the second episode of All In, Chamath made a mention about payments and his prediction with yes. you know Visa and MasterCard losing influence. And I just wanted to point something out. So he obviously pointed out that Visa and MasterCard are currently raising prices. Um within an inflationary environment, which is, you know, a really dumb move to sort of lose faith, to, ha to ha you know, to have merchants lose faith in your network, you know, raising fr prices when they're already down in the dumps with inflation and rising costs and, and just the tough time on the business front. Then he mentions, you know, that he got to look under the hood of Solana Pay and, you know, that that's really exciting and some other developments in payments. And as he predicted, you know, payments peer-to-peer -peer are going to come out of Africa and there's going to be innovations within uh, within payments this year that we'll see, which which we're already seeing, you know, and which which we highlighted last year within the Bitcoin, within Bitcoin Lightning. And uh, but he mentioned Solana Pay, no mention of the Bitcoin Lightning announcement. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on what this means. If you have any perspectives on Solana Pay, do you back it more than Bitcoin Lightning as becoming the new payment standard i know it's quite far to sort of extrapolate yeah. out but any comments on it luca maybe just a point uh, i think solana pay works with usdc yes it does so so uh, you know usdc um is is an innovation in the sense that it's 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 a dollar issued digitally right so i think you know solana pay is one iteration of what will be many companies that will look to piggyback off this technology, right? Like I think, I think the underlying technology of stable coins is filtering through rather than necessarily uh, Solana, right? Or Solana based projects utilizing uh, stable coin technology. So it's definitely, I mean, Solana is a fast, cheap chain. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but it will certainly not be the last. If we just look at USDC, UST and Terra, um, I mean, there are a bunch of projects which are going to be coming out 
which are really innovating in the stablecoin space. So it will be exciting to see. It's definitely going to be um, a lot of competition. So we've got a bit of a war in payments lined up. Well, I mean, I think it's, yeah, I'm not a Bitcoin bull, but I think that Jack Maller's use of Lightning Network is going to trump any other payment process delivered by L1. Because Solana requires you to onboard into crypto to use that pay, sole pay. You know, even using USDC, you have to onboard in crypto in some way or another. Um, you know, where Jack Mallers' pay, payment rail, you can pay with dollars or Bitcoin, and the merchant can receive whatever currency they want to receive. They don't have to touch crypto. And for me, that is a much easier method to onboard onto, especially as a merchant. When it comes to peer-to-peer -peer payments, I think you know, it makes sense that all L1 competitors or L2 competitors bring out their own payment rail. I mean, the whole of Ethereum is essentially a payment rail. So it makes sense that these that this happens. But I see more people using Cash App or, you know, Strike Payments or something like that to go buy food at, you know, Walmart or wherever it is. And the merchant accepting that route by the Lightning Network to avoid that 3% banking fee than a merchant using SolPay. So SolPay, I think, is going to target a very different market, basically. I think it'll target peer-to-peer -peer payments within the crypto space. I think it's going to be very tough to onboard outside of crypto as users are going to have to onboard into the Solana ecosystem to use it. I am an infinite Solana bull, as you guys know. So obviously, I'm bullish on the whole process. There's a lot happening with Solana. But I think there is going to be a payment war. But I think each sector is going to target different niches. And, you know, the underlying factor for SolPay is, is Solana going to be successful over five years? You know, we know Bitcoin has stood the test of time. We know Lightning Network is doing massive amounts of transaction volume and it's proved successful with tipping and all of that. We know that Strike is innovating real world partnerships into Lightning Network. So we know that Bitcoin has its scarcity derived value as well as its L2 scaling is working. Solana still needs to go through that test of time. So it's it's kind of the bed of conviction. We know Bitcoin works. We know that the Lightning Network works. We know that Lightning Network is upgrading. Solana is a new kid on the block. So I don't think it's a battle just yet. I think it's just going to be an interesting few years of development and that all these different payment rails and all these different layer one networks, you know, they're all going to become targets to different niches like i still believe that solana will be the gaming layer one you know i still believe that ethereum will retain nft b5 the main backbone of the entire crypto space's development and volume you know but i can see solana taking control of the gaming ecosystems because eth2 eth3 eth4 will never be able to match the speed and the cheapness of solana um you know similarly i think Terra Luna will retain value as the decentralized banking sector with decentralized stablecoins. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see the next five years of development. But what I do see is different sectors targeting different niches and ultimately forming a rounded, robust mechanism that targets everything and anything needed, which is just going to ultimately help onboard the global adoption into crypto. But I think Bitcoin Lightning Network with Jack Malice's payment role, uh, rails is probably going to be the leading peer-to-merchant payment system over the next decade. Are you getting ready for your presentation? 
John T. <laughs> Straight out of my speech voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought we also had to appreciate Q actually uh, to having an objective take instead of just succumbing to his infinite bullishness on Solano, which, uh, which I think that was a very measured take. Um, Q, when, when's the speech, by the way? Next week, Tuesday, exactly one week from today, and I am stressing about it, boys. But I'm so you're gonna to do? It. We're gonna do pod in the morning, and then straight into your into your keynote. Guys, the pod in the morning is gonna be my rehearsal for the keynote. Yes, <laughs> yes. You're just gonna be speaking for an hour. Um, be be sure to catch uh, Q, uh, our boy Q, speaking live IRL next next week in Cape Town. Um, we'll plug it next week, I'm sure. Um, but listen, as we as we wind down the episode, uh, it's been it's been great. Of, of course, these things don't always go to plan. Once we throw an NFTs metaverse controversy in, uh, just gets the wizards firing. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a great episode, boys. Thanks uh, as always, and thanks to everyone who tuned in live. Thank you to all of our new subscribers over the past week. It's been great to have you uh, as you. You know, and as you join us for this journey, as we wander around Web3 and figure things out. Um, another bit of housekeeping before we end off. I've linked it in the description right now. We do have a Discord running. If you want to hear more detailed takes about what's happening with the charts, Q's very active in there. We have a bit of Web3 Convo. We've got uh, Blockchain and Whiskey. Uh, an event we hold uh what is it q like every two weeks every two weeks Uh, yeah yeah where we just basically talk shit and crypto essentially um and yeah q is pretty deep in the charts giving more sort of fundamental analysis uh sort of a a more drawn out take over these market updates that we we have on the web3 show here so please do uh join the discord if you want to continue the conversation with us and uh, we will see everyone for episode 24 next week it's been another great one thanks to the wizards thanks to everyone joining we will see everyone next week bye bye